Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. But to call the, the Word of God the oracles of God, it makes it very, very precious because when the Lord Jesus Christ was fasting in the desert for 40 days and was really on the brink of starvation, the devil tempted him to use his power to take stones and to turn them into bread, which he had the power to do. But he responded in this verse that we read in Matthew 4, it really starts up in Matthew 4, 2, where it says, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward a hungry. I'm hungry after 40 minutes. He was hungry after 40 days, okay. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Then he answered. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I mean, here's the Lord, he's in the desert, he's fasted for 40 days, he's entering these stages of, of starvation, and the devil comes to him and says, look, this can make the difference between life and death for you, and instead of yielding to that temptation, the Lord took a stance and said, you know what, you've overrated food, something that I'm trying to learn, but never mind. You've overrated food, because there's actually something more important than food. There's something more important than bread, and then he quoted from Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, where it says, you know, as he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the Bible is a book of the words that proceeded out of the mouth of God. That's why oracles is such a great title for the Bible, because oracles means oral or mouth. So the call of the scriptures, the oracles of God, is to say those were the words that came from his mouth. God's words, those are life words. Those are words that give life because, why? Because everything about God is life. God is life. Life springs from God. This is what happened in creation in Genesis 2.7. In Genesis 2.7, when it says that God formed man out of the dust of the earth and the dust of the ground, then it says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What a dramatic scene is that? That's a real CPR, you know, putting his the nostrils, breathing in the breath of life. And then it says, man became something unique. Man became a living soul, a living soul. So God makes man from the dust, and that was man. Man is made there, but he is dust without a living soul. And then God puts his mouth over the nostrils of man and breathes into man, and he becomes a living soul. Before you and I came to the Lord Jesus Christ, we were dead. We were dead in our souls. When we came to know God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, new life began, began through knowledge, life through knowledge, as he says in John 17, three, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So it's life through knowledge, it's life through knowing God. And then our new life grew through the word of God. 
through the word of God, as it says in 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes, 1 Peter 2.2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And our soul continues to grow, and it continues to grow as we take in the word of God as if we view it not as the word of men, but as the word of God, as, as is told to us in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, where it says, for this cause also, thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It works when you receive it, when it's received as the word of God. Now, why don't look at carefully hone in on what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he said, man shall not live by bread alone. He was talking about life, live, and he spoke that. He's talking about life, and then he's talking about the word alone, okay? Now, he came to give life, John 10, 10, John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That word abundantly means beyond. I am come that they might have life beyond the ordinary, beyond the natural, beyond the physical, beyond what you and I would look at as, oh, he's alive, he's not alive. No, beyond that, it's the great word beyond. He came to give man life beyond his physical life. That means that man is not complete. He's not complete without this life that goes beyond, without this life that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. I am come that you might have life and have it beyond. When the Lord Jesus Christ uses the word alone, he's saying man's not complete. Man's not complete. So there's two types of life. Okay, so there's a life that comes from eating bread or food, but or we can even extend that a little bit farther, which we will in a minute. But that's a physical life, that's life. Pity the person. Pity the person who only has that life, who only has the physical life, because there's a much greater life beyond, beyond the physical. See, that's brought out by the word alone. A person can have great food, bread, the bread of food, and he can have wonderful possessions, the bread of possessions. He can have loyal friends, the bread of friends. He can have entertaining pleasures, the bread of pleasures. He can have a great prestige and reputation, the bread of prestige, all from his successes in life. Those are still described by this haunting word of alone, alone, because those are all just with this area, this category of bread alone and man shall not live by bread alone. So the word alone describes really a state of not being enough. It's not enough to have food, possessions, friends, pleasures, and prestige, because those are all in the category of bread alone, and it's not enough, and man shall not live by bread alone. Those are all of the life of the body, and they're not enough. They're all in this category of life called bread alone category of life. Because what's missing in that life is the life of the soul, the life that only comes from the oracles of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that live, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, the oracles of God. The word of God proceeding from the mouth of God, the same mouth that gave life when he breathed into Adam the breath of life, 
Now, the word alone is so interesting because the first time that God uses the word alone appears in the Bible, and it's a statement about man, and you're familiar with this. If you're not, then after you get married, then you'll look at this a lot. And it's in Genesis 2.18. The Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. All right? I'll make him a help meet for him. It's not good that man should be alone. All right, now, so God looks at man, and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. That's the first time the word alone is used. So God said alone meant that man was incomplete, incomplete. It wasn't good for man. Man needed someone to help him. Man needed a helper for himself. And so God made woman to help man. God made woman to be a helper for men. Now, man, I don't know if you see your wives as the helper or not, but that's what God says they are. Okay, so you have to believe, all right. Now, we read in our Bible in Genesis 2.18 that the woman was a help meet for man. And when we read the word meet, we think, oh, suitable, just right, just right for man. Okay, that's fine. But that's not what the Hebrew word means. The Hebrew word is very interesting. It's the word neged, neged. It's translated meet, but it really doesn't mean that, suitable or just right. Now, I'm gonna give you some instances here where this word is used, and then you'll see for yourself what this means. Word neged is used in the Bible. It's used in Joshua 5.13, Joshua 5.13. Behold, there stood a man over against neged with him, with his sword drawn in his hand. Now, Judges 20, verse 34, Judges 20, 34. There came against Neged, Gibeah, 10,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and the battle was sore. Are you getting a picture of what this word means, Neged, here? Okay, Proverbs 21, 30, Proverbs 21, 30. There is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against Neged, the Lord. So what do you see when you put those three views together? You see that, well, you know, it really means in opposition to. It means standing in front of. You know, I mean, there's a person with a sword, you know, and he's neged you, okay? And then there's, you know, 10,000 chosen men, and there's a battle, and they're neged, that's against it. And then there's no counsel, it's against the Lord. So now we look at it this way, we say, you know what? God looks at man and says, this is not good. This is not good, God said. Man has so many ideas and so many plans that really worries God that he wants to do and he's gonna destroy himself if he does all these things. It's not good for man to live alone without a help to neged man, okay? It's not good for man to live alone without someone to stand in front of him or in opposition to his plans and his ideas. So God said, <laughs> I got it, <laughs> God says, enter woman. No, he says, I will make for man a help neged him. I'll make for man a help to stand in front of him to oppose him. So he makes woman, so men, next time you think, why doesn't she agree with me? What is it with her? Every time she's opposing me, you thank God for her because God has looked at you and said, you need that, you need that. That's exactly what you need. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's not to say that women are always right. That's not to say that women's always right. This was in Genesis chapter two when he said that. All we have to do is go to the next chapter three and woman's definitely not right. <laughs> when she says, eat that. No, all right. But the point here is that when God uses the term alone, he's expressing an incompleteness for man, an incompleteness for man. So here, God is speaking about living or life and an incompleteness to living without God when he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So now the question is, why is man's life not complete unless he has God? How is man incomplete without God in his life? I mean, you and I have heard people say, our friends, and we take them seriously, when they say, look, I don't have God in my life. I don't need God in my life. Leave me alone, I'm just fine. Anybody ever heard that? You know? 
Yeah, okay. So I went to high school in Europe. I went to high school in Switzerland. And I was very much without God in my life. I mean, I lived in a boarding school, an all-boys boarding school, about 200 boys. And all of us in the boarding school during this time, we were pretty close. We were very close. We were together. I know a lot about Iran because my best friends were Iranians because there was time to show the Iranians and all those people sent their kids over there. And so, you know, um, we were 24 hours together. And even the teachers lived at the school. We lived together. We ate together. We learned together. We played sports together. We skied together. We got in trouble together. We were just together. We were a real closely knit band of brothers. I can't remember anyone at that time ever talking about God or how God was needed in life. No one went to church, no one went to temple, no one went to mosque. And then later after I left there and came back to the States, I found the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the great desires I had is I gotta go back to Europe, I gotta tell all Europe about God. So I structured my business and Scanabodies here with the majority of its customers in Europe. You know, Christopher Columbus landing on Europe, you know, in 1982 for the express purpose of developing close relationships. You know, I didn't just wanna go to people and say, oh, you need God, you need God. No, I want a close relationships, friend relationships, through business, you know, and developed those relationships, and we did. We negotiated, we did business together, we did sightseeing together, I went over their houses, you know, ate together, and then after the relationships were built, I would look them in the eye and I'd tell them how wonderful it is to know God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was shocked. They would look me straight in the eye, straight back in the eye, total sincerity, they would say, in essence, and sometimes they did say this to me, you really need to go to a psychiatrist to get you cured from this God problem. And I was shocked. I was absolutely dumbfounded as I thought, oh, I'm in the land of Psalm 104.4. I mean, Psalm 10, verse four. I'm in the land of Psalm 10, verse four. Psalm 10, verse four, what does it say? The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew said God is not in any of his thoughts. And I thought, I'm in this land. God is not in any of their thoughts. Now, we as a country are not far from that point now. We're heading in that direction, okay? So God was not in any of the thoughts of my European friends. And I began to realize that in Europe, they don't have God. They don't have God. How could they have pleasures in life without God? The Bible says that there are pleasures without God. It talks about pleasures of sin for a season in Hebrews 11.25. Hebrews 11.25 says, enjoy. Moses chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. But you know, the pleasures of sin, they're not lasting, they're just only for a season, they're seasonal pleasures. But this is not to say, because I knew them, this is not to say that all the Europeans are immoral. I mean, you look at the rich farmer in the New Testament, he was not immoral, but he was doomed. The Lord talked about him in Luke 12, 16, Luke 12, 16, and he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. He's not an immoral man. There's nothing in here about him being immoral, but he's got a life without God. He's just thinking, mm, yeah, mm. and he doesn't have any treasure toward God. He's not rich toward God, and he's doomed. He's doomed because he built his life without any thought of God, any thought toward God. The rich young man 
who came to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was very moral. He even was talking about that in Matthew 19, 16. Matthew 19, 16. Behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This is a man who specializes in good things. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That's God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, which? Jesus saying, thou shalt not do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, love thy neighbor and thyself. The young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth and up, what lack I? Now wait a minute, Jesus never said you didn't do that. This is the picture of morality here. He's done all these things, he's not lying, he's honoring his father, his mother, he's loving his neighbor, he's not committing adultery, no murder, he's a very moral person. But then Jesus said, if thou be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, which of the commandments of the 10 commandments did he violate there? The first one. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. This is God speaking to him. God told him to do this. If you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your possessions, you're gonna obey him. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, verily I say unto you, a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Rich man was doomed because he loved riches more than God. And so I came to this horrible realization that the Europeans I knew had built their entire life, their families, their friendships, their business, their conversations, their meditations, all around the absence of God, the void of God. He's not there. And so I came to this, and then all these Europeans that I knew, they had families without God, they had friendships without God, they had all these things, 100% without God. And I wondered, how can they sleep? How can they sleep, how can they laugh, how can they live in a state of 100% without God? How could they be incomplete without God in their lives? How was a person incomplete without God in his life? Well, first of all, man is incomplete unless he knows God personally as his creator. Are we in the Creation Museum? Yes. So you gotta know that, right? Because as the creator, God originated man. For a man to deny that God is his creator is for man to deny his origin, his origin. If a man does not know God personally as his creator, then he is incomplete in his knowledge of his origin. You know, just think today, the popularity, Ancestry.com, Okay, genealogy.com. There's such an intense interest in people to know their origins. You know, today it's all about, hey, I found out my origins. I'm from Ireland, I'm from Russia, I'm from American Indians. That's why I go on the warpath. You know, our people, <laughs> they take an intense interest in these people as, why? Because to understand the people they came from helps them to understand themselves. And then there's this tremendous sense of, oh, I feel complete, of completion when a person understands the group that he came from. He says, oh, that's why I look this way, that's why I act this way, that's why I think this way, because the people I come from, they look that way, they, they act that way, they think this way. A person thinks that he cannot change the people he originated from, and therefore he cannot change his appearance or his tendencies to think it, and so forth like that. Well, God originated man. And man is made in the image of God. That's why man feels when he learns more about God, he feels a certain way as his creator because man feels complete when he comes to know the person that he is made in the image of. And for a man to deny that God is his creator is for man to deny his own image, which is the image of God. God man cannot change that fact. 
of who he is made in the image of. He can't change the fact of Genesis 1.27, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So now, that's the first reason. Now, next reason, man is not complete unless he knows God as his sustainer. So first we were talking about God as his creator. Now we're talking about God as his sustainer. I'm going to read for you Psalm 104. I'm gonna start at verse 10 from Psalm 104. And as I read this, you got a pencil, write down who is dependent on God from what I read. Who is dependent on God? And by who, I don't just mean man. Okay, and I want you to listen for how God is actively involved right now and who benefits from God being actively involved. I want you to list all the life, the life that's here, that's dependent on God's current and constant actions. Just write them down. You know, what life is dependent is listed here from these verses. For example, what animals are dependent on God from these verses? Okay, ready? Okay, Psalm 104, verse 10. He sendeth the springs into the valleys, which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth, this is all present tense, he watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nest as the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, and the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun ariseth, they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works, in, thy, in wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There's that Leviathan, which thou hast made to play therein. These all wait upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat and due season. Thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thy hand, they are filled. Now I'm gonna jump down to verse 33. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing to my God while I have any being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. You think you wrote them all down? I'm reading all these things in here. Can you hear these animals in these walls? They're all saying, amen. <laughs> That's right, okay. You list them all, what'd you get? Did you get every beast of the field? Did you get that one? Did you get the wild asses? Did you get the fowls? You got cattle, you got man, you got your bird, same as fowl, but okay, listed again, okay. You got the stork, you got the wild goats, you got the conies, the rock badgers, you got the beasts of the forest, the young lions, innumerable creeping things in the seas, the creepers in the sea. 
You got the Leviathan, the sea monster. You got all this down there? I mean, this is huge. And so what do all of these life have in common? They have in common Psalm 104, verse 27, where it says, these all wait upon God. They're all waiting upon God that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, they are filled with good. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 